This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we are again uh, tonight grateful for grace. Grateful, Lord, that You and Your um, infinite wisdom have decided, just based upon Your own good pleasure, to reach out, to reach down to sinners, to rebels. And Lord, to grant salvation. We're thankful, Lord, for the sending of Your only begotten Son into the world, taking upon Himself humanity, coming to live the righteousness that we lack, to suffer and die, to pay the penalty for our sins, to rise again, to give assurance to us of eternal life. Lord, we're thankful that Christ is exalted today and seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Lord, we're thankful for salvation. Lord, we're thankful for Your Word. And we pray, Lord, as we read tonight and as Your Word is proclaimed, that You make it alive to us, Father, so that it's not just uh, words on a page to us, so that it, it is received by each individual here as what it is, the very Word of the living God. Lord, we ask that You come in power. Change hearts. May it all be for Your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're again in Matthew chapter 9. And, uh, well, Lord willing, I'm probably just going to look at a very small section here tonight. Um, Matthew chapter 9. It's good uh, to be saved. Amen. <laughs> God, God's mercy. Um Without God's mercy, well, should go without saying, but it's good to remind ourselves we'd all perish without God's mercy. We'd all be consumed, but for His loving kindness. His grace, saved by grace. Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to start again in verse 9 where we read this morning, primarily... um, I'm going to uh, focus in on verse 12, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and read, well, I don't think we're going to get that far, but I'm going to go ahead and read through verse uh, 17, and uh, if nothing else, if we don't make it that far, that will give us something to chew on this week, because this is a... Uh, Interesting passage, and, and Lord willing, we'll come back and talk about that next Sunday morning. Um, verse 9, Matthew 9, 9. 
as Jesus passed on from there, and I'm, it's going to be a little different than this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so uh, just in case you're looking at a different version, we'll let you know. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so, both are preserved. Verse 13, Jesus uh Actually, in 12 and 13, Jesus' response to the Pharisees, they are indignant because He is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus' response is, as we talked about this morning, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then, a uh, some, well, some sarcasm here. Um, go and learn what this means. Now, remember who he's talking to here. <laughs> he's, talking, he's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the scribes, the Pharisees. They know the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God, but they know the Word of God. Um, they know it in the sense that um, they can quote chapter and verse. They have much of it committed to memory. They don't know it in the sense that they don't understand it correctly. If they did, they would not be surprised that the Son of God has come to save sinners. And so Jesus picks a, uh, a verse that he actually quotes twice. Um, the verse is Hosea 6, 6. And he quotes it here and then again over in chapter 12. In Hosea 6, 6, uh, the verse reads this way, For I desire, and again I'm reading from the uh, uh, ESV here, and the word mercy um, the Hebrew word here is the idea of steadfast love. And, and the ESV has consistently translated it that way. Um, so, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love 
and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's a parallelism, uh, very common uh, in Hebrew writings. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. It's interesting, isn't it? Here's, here's the old, under the Old Testament dispensation, the God um, of the Old Covenant, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, the God who instituted the sacrifices, says there's, there's, there's something um, more central, more, more essential to true worship than the outward, um, cer- the outward ceremonialism of sacrifices and, and, uh, and so forth. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, this is what, uh, by implication, he's saying that they lack. They lack steadfast love. They lack true knowledge of God. And so Jesus is, is using that indictment from Hosea 6, 6, and he's, he's uh, applying it to the religious leaders of his day. Go and learn what this means to, to, to people who are the teachers. To the teachers, he's saying, go and learn. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Some versions say, but I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we talked about that this morning. That, that is... Um, what Jesus is doing there, calling, calling people out of sin, separating them unto Himself for a life of repentance, a life of devotion dedicated to Him and to the glory of God. And we also talked this morning, and this is what I want to deal with a little bit more tonight, about the objects of His mercy. The sinners. That's, that's who He's, he's coming, to, uh, coming to save. This, this, Jesus is saying, is central to His ministry. Mercy. Mercy. Mercy and not sacrifice. Is sacrifice unimportant? Well, no. Not under, under the old dispensation. Um, sacrificing animals was commanded. So again, it's interesting that in Hosea, God through the mouth of Hosea would say, um, I don't desire your sacrifices. It says, says the same thing through the mouth of David. Same thing through the mouth of Isaiah. In fact, let me, let me read you a little bit here, and this will help us too with the kind of the mindset. Isaiah chapter 1. It's, it's important, I think, to, uh, to realize that the Is- Israelites were never a non-religious people. They, they never shut off the religious activity. And I say that because in our in our own day, um, what what we are facing is the rise, what some would say, the, the, the rise of secularism, where there's a where there's a doing away with religion to some extent, all religion. I mean, some of, some some of them out there would like to get rid of all religion. Um, it seems like to me, though, and I'm sure you would agree, that a lot of times their biggest concern is Christianity. You know, they can kind of t- 
tolerate some of the others. They, they are not so tolerant when it comes to Christianity. They've not been as successful in this as, as they had hoped uh, so far. Um, but there is, at least in our own country, it seems uh, um, that we're moving increasingly towards a, a secularist mindset. And so it's easy, to, it's easy to look at that and, you know, understand that that's, that's wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it's void of God, anything to do with God. But when you're looking at false religion or perverted religion, it's more subtle. Because the whole thing puts on this facade about being God-centered. About doing the will of God. So, for example, um, this is what was going on with Israel. Let me just give you an example of uh, uh, the indictments that are levied against them by the Lord. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, he's, he's describing the condition of them, of, of the Israelites and, and, their, and their worship, their form of worship. Isaiah 1, 6, From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overgrown by foreigners. The daughter of Zion is left like a booth and a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should be like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Look at verse... Uh, 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure. Iniquity and solemn assembly, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And all of those things he's describing, um, their form of worship, very things that he's commanded them to do, the oblations, the incense. And yet he's saying, I've had enough. It's become a burden to me. Why? 
Because it was void of any mercy, any steadfast love. So here, like in Hosea, he points out what he desires is mercy, not sacrifice. Steadfast love. Again, uh, before we go back to Matthew, once more in in Hosea, in this text that uh, Jesus is quoting from, the Lord says to the Hebrews, Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. He's saying that's that's what your that's what your love is like. It it it's like a morning cloud. It's just it's just there for a minute. It has no enduring value. It just poof, it's gone. Where the love of the Lord is steadfast, right? And this is what he desires from his people. Steadfast love. I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. So Jesus is applying this to the Pharisees of His day. Go, go and learn what this means. They're criticizing Him because He's reaching out to sinners. What's He doing? He's demonstrating steadfast love. He's demonstrating mercy. He's come to save. The Son of Man has come and to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what He's doing. He's, he's on a mission of mercy. He's come for the very ones that these people, the Pharisees, hate. He's reaching out to tax collectors and sinners. Now, a few lessons we can take from that on discipleship, right? Or you might say it this way, evangelism is kind of sort of one and the same thing. Um, first of all, some things we, we, uh, we should not do and some things we should do. I mean, this is what Jesus is doing here. He's discipling. And as I mentioned this morning, I, I would even say this is what Matthew, as a brand new convert, he's already doing. <laughs> he's saying, he's, I, you know, Jesus said, follow me, and I want others to follow him too. So he just invites friends to the feast. And Jesus is reaching out to them. So, a few lessons here um, on discipleship. Mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy and not sacrifice. There's a place for sacrifice, just like there was in the Old Testament dispensation. We, uh, we talked about that this morning in Sunday school. Um, if any man comes to me, Jesus said, let him take up his cross and follow me. You've got to die to self. In a sense, I mean, that's, that's sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, Paul said to the Corinthians. Holy. So there's, there's a place for sacrifice. But uh, the sacrifice in itself is vain, worthless, empty if it's void of love. And that's what the Lord was complaining about in Isaiah 1. 
I don't want any more of your vain oblations. The oblations were required. The blood of bulls was required. Why, why was he sick of them? Why was he saying that he was burdened with them? Because they were void of any love. He says later in Isaiah, With your lips you draw close to me, but your heart is far from me. And your fear of me is taught you by the precepts of men or the commandments of men. In other words, he's saying, you've been taught. You've been taught how to fear God. You've been taught how to go through the motions. I don't know about the rest of the country, but I know this is the case with us in the South, in the Bible Belt. We've been taught. We've been taught how to fear God. I know because I've lived it. This is where I grew up. And we're, we're taught. Here's what a Christian is. Here's how a Christian talks. Here's how a Christian dresses. Here's how a Christian acts. Here's what a Christian will do. And here's what a Christian won't do. Your fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. And if you go to... Uh, not, not right now. We don't have time. But if you go to Matthew 15, you'll, you'll see how Jesus applies that passage in an indictment against the Pharisees. So first of all, what not to do in discipleship. Don't target only people like yourself. Um, this was the mindset the Pharisees had. You know why they didn't like the tax collectors and sinners because they didn't meet their standards. <laughs> and I, I know they, they, if you had asked them why you don't like them, I'm sure they would have said, well, because they don't meet the Lord's standards. No. We stand for righteousness and they just don't measure up to the Lord's standards. They're not worthy of Him. Well, of course they're not worthy of Him. And neither are you, Mr. Pharisee, and neither am I. None of us are worthy of Him. None of us meet His standards. But I think the truth was, uh, they were more concerned with their standards than the Lord's standards. And so the tendency is then to seek out people that are like me. I mean, that's, that's human nature. It's amazing, isn't it? Because if I'm really honest, I can find all kinds of faults with myself. <laughs> but nevertheless... Uh, I'm, I'm probably most comfortable with somebody that's pretty much like I am. At least, at least to some extent. At least, if, at least if we've got the same cultural background so that, so that you're not, you know, put in any, too much of, a, of, a, of an uncomfortable situation. You kind of know what to expect from each other. You sort of got the same likes and dislikes when it comes to things that you consider to be important. Um, you know, how to dress or what kind of music or how to worship or where to wear, what, whatever it is. Don't, don't target only people like yourself. Don't avoid people like yourself. I mean, uh, and I think there's, there's some legitimacy to that. And, and, and oftentimes the Lord will use us um, to reach people that we can most identify with. But I don't think we should uh, 
we should not expect the other scenario. In other words, we ought to expect that God would use us to reach people unlike us too. Because He can do that. The, 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 the power to draw and to save is not in my personality. It's in the Word of God. And if it's in my personality, then I'm not building much anyway. I mean, I may. I may draw thousands of people. Some, some people do that. But what have you really got? You know, the, the, as, as far as true discipleship, the power to draw and to save, to convert, to change lives, is not going to be in the man or the woman. It's in the Word of God. It's in the Spirit of God. Taking the Word home to the hearts of individuals. Don't target people like yourself. Um, I mean, it, that lesson should be obvious here. The Pharisees did not like the people Jesus was hanging out with. And, and in their mind, now think about this, that they are accusing Jesus of carnality. They're accusing the Son of God who, who never sinned. He never had a carnal moment in his life. You know, when, when we talk about carnality in the sense of Romans 7, being in the flesh. Jesus never experienced that. He who knew no sin, that is, He had no experiential knowledge with the old sin nature. And these men who are sinners indeed, even though they don't think so themselves, and in reality, unworthy to even be in His presence, they are accusing Him of carnality. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Also, do not... Two things here kind of go together. First of all, do not try to make people what you are not. I didn't sound like that made much sense, did it? <laughs> In Luke eleven forty six, Jesus says, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. He says, you put greater burdens on other people than you are willing to bear yourself. Don't try to make people what you're not. We saw, we saw an example of that the other night. I think it's, uh, uh, I say the other night, a couple of weeks ago, um, going through Galatians with uh, Brother Austin Tucker. Paul describes an experience in Antioch with Peter. Um, first, Peter comes to Antioch and he's, he's eating. Like, like Jesus is eating here with tax collectors and sinners. And here, here Peter is in Antioch eating with Gentiles. Well, that's, Jews don't do that. The Gentiles are considered unclean. You don't do that. But Peter has come to the understanding now that, um, you know, they, Gentiles are saved the same way that the Jews are. Uh, what God has cleansed, the Lord has made known to Peter. What I've cleansed, don't you call unclean. So Peter's come to that understanding now. So he comes to Antioch to check out what Paul's doing. And, and, and he 
he enjoys the, the freedom himself. And he fellowships, he sits, and even eats with Gentiles because he now has this uh, understanding of God's, a better understanding of God's will in regard to the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. And then James and some other brethren come up from Jerusalem, devout Jews, convert, you know, they're Christians now, but uh, in the past, devout, devout Jews now converted to Christianity. And I guess Peter begins to think, you know, they may not have hold of this revelation. <laughs> that it's okay for us to fellowship and eat with Gentiles. And so he pretends like he hasn't been doing that. Galatians 2.11 But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating, that is Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, that is the, the Jews from Jerusalem. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, and Paul, and Paul ever vigilant you know, for, for, the, for sound doctrine and for the truth of the gospel and for liberty in Christ, he says, when I saw that uh, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, quote, if you... Though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? <laughs> Paul's saying, look, before these, these Jews that you fear came, you were, you were fellowshipping and eating with Gentiles. You were not living like a Jew yourself. Now that these Jews who you fear have come from Jerusalem and you want to impress them and you're afraid of being condemned by them, you're going to separate yourself as if the Jews were more holy. You're going to separate yourself from the Gentiles, sit in fellowship with the Jews, and by doing that, you're, you're teaching by your conduct, you're teaching the Gentiles to live like a Jew. The very thing you weren't doing, you know, just yesterday before these other Jews came up. So why do you, who, who, who lives like a Gentile, try to convince Gentiles to live like a Jew? You're trying to make other people something that you yourself are not. You're putting burdens on them that you won't even touch with one of your fingers. But by the same token, do not try to make people what you are. I am not the standard. I'm not the standard. You're not the standard. Jesus is the standard. I won't spend much time here because I mentioned it previously, but I think what's going on here is the Pharisees. They're seeing a group of people Tax collectors, sinners, and that can be just uh, a mixture of you know any any kinds of uh, immoral people. Probably a lot of them were, were 
were very good people. They just they just they just weren't uh, living the kind of uh, strict um, ceremonialistic lives that the Pharisees were living, and so they looked down on them as sinners. They didn't meet their standards. Their idea of disciples was making people like themselves. We want we want people like us. We want to have a good church. I want everybody to be like me. You know, let's 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 keep the riffraff out of here. We want to have a good church. Everybody, same color, basically the same social status. Maybe basically dress alike so that we all feel comfortable. That, I would say, is another don't do when it comes to discipleship. Do not try to mold people according to your own preferences. Some words of wisdom here from John Calvin. If anything pleases us, we forthwith desire to make it law, so that others may live according to our pleasure. He goes on to say, Let us first learn not to place holiness in outward and indifferent matters. Indifferent matters meaning things that don't matter. I mean, uh, some things matter. Uh, certain things you have to believe in order to be a Christian. I mean, you, you, have, to, you have to have faith in Christ. Um, you know, you can't, uh, contrary to what some people think today, you, you can't be a Buddhist and a Christian at the same time. You can't be a, a Muslim and a Christian at the same time. Some things matter. You need to have the right understanding about the person of Christ, to some extent about the will of God, about yourself, you know, that we are sinners. Some things matter. The deity of Christ, I would say, is a doctrine that matters. But multitudes of things don't matter. I don't know if I can state this correctly. I don't have a quote in front of me, but uh, um, it's something I was, I was reading by D.A. Carson here a while back. He, he, said, he said it real well, but he's articulate. Um, essentially, he said this. So hopefully, I'll get it across right. But anything that's temporary in nature, he's, basically, he's saying falls into that category. doesn't matter. It's a part of this world. It's going out with this world. And there's a lot of things you could apply to that. Even, even forms of worship, or like we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, uh, building styles and, and that kind of thing. Those, those are all temporary things. Music styles. Those are all temporary things. Whether to have a, 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 a piano or not to have a piano. Musical instruments or no musical instruments. Those are all temporal things. But the eternal things... Like I mentioned a few moments ago about the nature and character of God. Things like Jesus saying, unless a man's born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Truth like that, that's eternal. Don't back off of it. Don't, don't back off of it 
an inch. That's worth fighting for. That's a heel to die on. Music style, that's not a heel to die on. What side of the room to have the piano on? That's not a heel to die on. Color of carpet. If, if it's temporal, then it's probably not worth the trouble. That's what Calvin means by indifferent things. He's, he's talking here about, uh, specifically, uh, here he's talking about the... Uh, Fasting and all, because that's what the the, uh, the disciples are asking about. Why don't you? Why don't Why don't you, Jesus, and your disciples fast? <clears throat> so Calvin goes on. We finish this quote here. Learn not to place holiness in outward and indifferent matters, and at the same time to restrain ourselves by moderation and equity that we may not desire to restrict others to what we approve, but may allow everyone to retain His freedom. (laughs) Amazing! Christ came to make us free! And we are so quick, like the Pharisees, to put people in bondage to our preferences. Calvin goes on to say that he, he I'm skimming through some of this, but he, he uh, in his opinion, the, uh, the, the particular prayers that they're talking about here in fasting, he puts in the category of indifferent matters, the observance of which ought not to be too strictly enjoined. And then back to the statement I read earlier, if anything pleases us, we forthwith desire to make it a law that others may live according to our pleasure. So, do not target only people like yourself. Do not try to make people what you are not. And do not try to make people what you are. Don't try to mold people according to your own preferences. Things we should do. Uh, Reach out indiscriminately to everybody that needs to be saved. That's, That's going to be pretty much... I mean, unless they already are saved, then that's going to be pretty much everybody we see as we move through this life. Be merciful. This is key to what Jesus is saying here. Be merciful to those in need. Let me, let me say this. Think, think about what, what the Lord says through Hosea. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God. Okay, there he's he, the indictment. There is like in Isaiah. The indictment there is that they they have no love for God. They have plenty of religious activity, religious ceremony. They're they're good. They're what we would call you know uh, members in good standing, active church members. They just didn't love God. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't like His ways. And so he said, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Now, Jesus uses that same verse where it appears Hosea is talking about love towards God. God says to Israel, I desire steadfast love toward me. And he says, your your love is like a morning cloud. It just dissipates. 
And I want love that endures. I don't want the religious activity. I want steadfast love. I want commitment. I want devotion. I want affection. From you to God. God Word. But here Jesus takes that passage. What are we talking about here? We're talking about other, other people. Tax collectors and sinners. And when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, He says, go learn what this means. I will have steadfast love, mercy, and not sacrifice. In other words, the implication is, you should love these people and not condemn them. So, the love, He's referencing there and and, uh, indicting them for not having, is horizontal. It's, it's, It's manward rather than Godward. But, let me say this, and I, and I think this is, uh, well, we've, we've hit on this a few times, and I, I think this is, again, clear here, just in the fact that Jesus does that. Devotion to Jesus will manifest in devotion to other people. Or you can supply the word love there. Love for Jesus will manifest in love for other people. It will. And so, if there's no love for people like we see in the Pharisees, then guess what? It doesn't, doesn't matter what's coming from their lips. It doesn't matter how ceremonial they are, how faithful they are in their ceremonialism. It doesn't matter how many times they fast a week, how many times they pray. If there's no love for people, there's no love for God. John, the Apostle, said, we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He put that down as a sure mark of salvation. Francis Schaeffer calls it the mark of the Christian. Love. Love. That's what Jesus is calling for here. So, in other words, they're one and the same. What Hosea is saying, what Jesus, the way Jesus is applying it here are really one and the same. Because love for God will manifest in love for other people. The Pharisees are void of that kind of love. And their lives, their religious activity, all the ceremonialism is a devotion to it's the product of a devotion to self. It's amazing, isn't it, that you can be so caught up in religious things and so knowledgeable in one sense about the Word of God. Commit it to memory. Read it. Read it. Read it. And not know God. So, we're to be merciful. This is what the Lord wanted when He spoke through Hosea. This is what the Lord is requiring as He speaks to the Pharisees here. Key to this, don't think of yourself better than the vilest person 
you ever meet or can imagine. I think <clears throat> let me preface this this way. There, there are some sins out there, you know, some things you hear about people engaging in, and, and in all honesty, not, not, not being uh, uh, self-righteous or anything like that, but there are certain things I can hear about, and I'm sure you're the same way, and you, you think, you know what, I'm not even tempted to do that. I don't even want to do that. That's not even something I have to, I, I feel like, you know, uh, pray that by God's grace, you know, of course, it always says that. But, you know, you think of some particular thing. That's, that's not even something I have to be on guard about. I have no desire to do that. But, if you have any understanding, if I have any understanding about the depravity of my own heart, I know that circumstances had been different. Maybe if I had their background, maybe if I'd been raised by the parents they were raised by, but whatever the case is, in other words, the very reason that I'm not tempted to do that particular thing is grace. It's not because of anything. It's not because of some superior righteousness in here. And all, all other things being equal... I'm just as prone to commit any given sin as anybody else is. Because I've got the same problem in here. Sin. Don't think of yourself better than the vilest people you can imagine. Philippians 2.1, a often quoted favorite verse, favorite passage of mine. You He made alive. That is, He raised you from the dead. You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, Paul's, Paul's saying that to Christians at Ephesus. He's saying that to you and me. Holy Spirit saying that to you and me. You once walked according to the course of the world just like the world is doing now. That same spirit of disobedience that works in them once worked in you. We all had our conduct at one time in those things, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Don't forget. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you are, who you are. Save? Yes. Child of God? Yes. Son of God? Yes. Heir to the kingdom? Yes. Join heir with Christ? Yes. By grace. By grace. And that's what Paul goes on to say in that same passage. You were saved by grace. Matter of fact, it's worth reading. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. You see, that's what Jesus is calling on the Pharisees to do. Love. You are sinners, just like they're sinners. But God, who was rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, not because He saw that you were good, not because He saw that you were worth saving, but because of the great love which He had for you, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together. By grace you have been saved. I used to go in... Uh, some of you remember R.F. Gates. and I used to go stop and see him a lot of times in his office up there. I'd be on my way to work. It just made me think of it here in verse 3. You know, Paul says, You were once children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then verse 4 says, But God! And RF had a little sign over his desk, uh, over his head, behind his desk, and just a little plaque thing, and that's what it said, But God. <laughs> but, but God. You, you are dead in trespasses and sin, but God! being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, Paul says. Don't think of yourself as better than other people. I'll tell you what, the best way for you and I to be comfortable with whoever God sends through these doors or, you know, across our path uh, in our daily routine. The best way for you and I to be comfortable with them and, and comfortable in, uh, in serving them and ministering to them, don't think of yourself as being above them. If you think they're above you, I mean, I mean, you know, if they are socially or whatever, um, financially, uh, remember uh, they're still sin. They're still sinners. They they need the gospel. If you think you're above them, if I think I'm above them, um, I'm just dead wrong. I'm just dead wrong. And so we've kind of already covered this, but this is the last one. Um, things we should do. Check our own heart for hypocrisy. See, that's what's going on with the Pharisees here, and that's why Jesus tells them, well, people don't need a physician. Sick people need a physician. I didn't come for the righteous. And He's, you know sarcastically meaning that they are righteous. They're really not. They're hypocrites. The reason they, they see themselves as above others is because they're hypocrites. 
So when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to discipleship, reach out indiscriminately. Be merciful. Don't think of yourself as better than anybody else and check your own heart for hypocrisy. We're saved by grace. We are sinners. Christ came to save sinners. I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Listen. Who else should we expect God to send us to or to send to us through that door? Should we expect that God would send us to the righteous, you know, the elite? Should we expect that God should send them to us, people who, at least from outward appearance, don't seem to have any issues? All are sinners, so they're, they're, they're sinners, but like we said this morning, they may not acknowledge that. They think they're fine. We think they're fine. We look at them. We don't see any issue. Should we expect God to send us those kind of people to serve? Should we expect that God should send us to those kind of people? Or should we expect to be sent to the same kind of people Jesus went to? The outcasts. The dregs. The sick, the sinners, the perverse. He came to save sinners. Thank God we're saved by grace. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.